1: Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web only sports show from RNZ Sport. This week has been a difficult one for the New Zealand Breakers, not just on court but also off the court with guard Corey Webster arrested. The Black Caps wrapped up their Test Series against Pakistan, they now face Australia in the Chapel Hadley Series. With the disappointment of the Olympics now behind them, the New Zealand men's rugby sevens team focuses on the World Series. And the ASB Classic Men's Tennis Tournament tries to match the outstanding field of the women. The New Zealand Breakers Point guard Corey Webster has been suspended for one game by his basketball club following his arrest in the early hours of Wednesday morning. The 28-year-old has been charged with assault after he was allegedly involved in an altercation at a bar in Takapuna while out celebrating his birthday. Matt Chatterton has more.
2: Webster, yes! That shot was
3: not even that open, but he made it count.
4: Normally known for his prowess on the basketball court, Corey Webster will find himself in a different court next week when he defends his assault charge. The star guard has also landed himself in trouble with his club, the Breakers. He's been suspended for one game, today's match against the Illawarra Hawks on the North Shore. The Breakers' general manager Dylan Boucher says Webster hasn't been suspended for the alleged assault, rather for breaking team values by staying out late following his side's flight home from Cairns on Monday. Boucher says Webster also failed to tell the club he'd been arrested.
5: Corey didn't attend training on Wednesday morning and we knew there was an issue, but probably the details of what we were told um, probably wasn't as clear as what we would have liked. So that's where, when I talk about his breach of communication and breach of team values, communication is one that's very high on our priority and we expect to know everything um, that our players are doing and, and he was probably in breach of that by not being completely clear on us exactly what had happened.
4: It isn't the first time Webster's been in trouble. In 2010 he was suspended for testing positive for cannabis, and a year later he tested positive for taking a synthetic form of cannabis while on duty with the New Zealand basketball team. The Breakers tore up his contract after he was handed a 12-month ban by the World Anti-Doping Agency for taking the synthetic cannabis, but he was then rehired in 2012. Back then the breakers said Webster was on his final warning, but Boucher says the club will wait for the court process to be completed before any decision is made. Breakers head coach Paul Hinada says regardless of the court case, Webster's actions were unacceptable.
5: I think he's let the team down um, for what our standards are and expectations are. You know, that's the thing that, that hurts and... That's the thing that, uh, that Corey's aware of and you know, the implications that, that come with that. So um, yep, disappointed, let down and all that. But um, you know, for us, well, we address it, have addressed it and uh, we, we move forward.
4: The timing of the incident couldn't be worse. Webster was charged by the NBL after he struck a Cairns player during his side's loss on the weekend. Webster pleaded guilty to that charge and has been fined $500. Given the breakers are coming off the back of two losses and reaching the midway point of the season... Webster's actions only add further pressure to the club. Breakers vice-captain Tom Abercrombie says he's incredibly disappointed by Webster's actions.
5: He shouldn't have put himself in that position to begin with, and uh, it's disappointing that uh, it comes to this, but um, the club's dealt with it, and and as a playing group, when he comes back into the fold, we welcome him back and move on. Our job is to go out and play basketball and try not to worry about this stuff.
4: Webster will be available to play for the Breakers in their next match against Melbourne on Sunday, The following day, he'll appear in court back in Auckland. In a statement released by the club, Webster says he maintains his innocence and will defend the assault charge. For extra time, Matt Chatterton.
1: The Black Caps notched up an historic Test Series win against Pakistan on Tuesday with a 138-run victory in the second Test in Hamilton. It's the first time in three decades New Zealand cricketers have managed to take a Test Series off Pakistan, who are ranked number two in the world. Former Black Cap player and coach Mark Greatbatch kept a close eye on the final test, which for most of the final day appeared to be heading for a draw until a remarkable final session. He spoke to Morning Report's Susie Ferguson.
3: Wow, they, they say that sport. Um, there are a few things that happen that just changed the game. Um, I think it was a run out. And, you know, all of a sudden they're in for a sniff and, and you know, the guys bowl really well and... and It was a wearing wicket, last day wicket. Um, You don't see that very often, nine wickets. And I think they lost nine wickets in 14 overs, which is half a session of cricket. Um, And for being a number two side in the world, as Pakistan were until yesterday when we beat them, uh, they've gone to three. I think we've gone back up to six. So a really interesting change of events and uh, good to see our lads start the home series really well.
4: Interesting change of events. It almost sounds like that's a bit of an understatement, isn't it, Mark?
3: <laughs> yeah. As I said, they say it's sport. Uh, people make mistakes. Um, yeah. so, so, I mean, was, guy... so
4: was it that Pakistan then made mistakes, or was it that there were some real pivotal moments and, and pivotal players in the black cap side?
3: Yeah, I mean, Saudis was a standout for the match. He took eight wickets, Wagner six. Um, the young lad, the grand home, well, he's not that young from Auckland now. he He's come into the side and contributed with a wicket and a run out. And all of a sudden, um, we had nine wickets in a session. As I said, it doesn't happen very often. Um, it's happened to us a couple of times in our history uh, and a few other sides. But, uh, you know, Pakistan definitely uh, were behind the eight ball during this two-match series. Uh, we just seemed to be in front of them almost sort of a session in front each each day, and when when you can't get back to parity or mm. get in front of the opposition, it, it's a pretty tough gig.
6: Do you think Pakistan came here
4: just very quickly, thinking, "Oh, we're num-, you know they're number two in the world. black caps are pretty much further down the rankings. We'll knock them over quite easily."
3: Yeah, not really. Um, you know, Pakistan have been in a unique position in the last six years. They, they actually don't play their cricket in Pakistan, which is very sad these days because of mm. security risks. So they have a home base in Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Um, So they're used to playing on the road. Um, So they're pretty hard in campaigning. But, you know, I didn't see uh, a number two side in the world performing here in the last couple of weeks. So, you know, we just got on the front foot early and we didn't take our foot off the throat and and got on the lads. You know, we've had a pretty tough uh, tour of Africa and India, so it's nice to come home and, and do well in the early part of the season.
1: That's Mark Greatbatch speaking to Susie Ferguson. The New Zealand team now swap Test Whites for one-day colours as they head across the Tasman for the three-match Chapel Hadley series. And coach Mike Hesson concedes beating the Australian one-day team on home soil will be an extremely difficult task. The Black Caps are in Australia ahead of the first game of the series, which starts in Sydney on Sunday. Australia are coming off a humbling Test Series loss to South Africa, and the Black Caps are the defending Chapel Hadley champions. But Hessen told reporters the hosts are ranked the world's best number one side for a reason. Oh, look, their one-day side's very
7: settled. Um, their one-day side is experienced. I mean, I think they're still, if they're not one, I think they're still one in the world in one-day cricket. Um, so they as I said, their squad is significantly more settled than their test squad has been. So we expect uh, they know their conditions well, um, obviously in front of some good crowds. Uh, I'm sure they'll be wanting to try and get that Chapel
1: Hadley back. The Black Caps will be without veteran batsman Ross Taylor who's having eye surgery and Hesson acknowledges that's a loss but they can overcome it.
7: Yeah, we will. I mean, Ross wasn't with us last time we won the Chapel Hadley so, um, you know, Henry um, jumped in and, um, you know, did a very good job for us there. Um, You know, we've obviously Colin Munro coming back as well and, and you know, a bunch of all-rounders so uh, we've got to sort of try and put together a bit of a plan about how we might use that in the different conditions. Um, You know, obviously Sydney... Uh, potentially might spin a little bit. We'll um, we'll have to wait and see, but I think the the squad we've got um, it's an exciting squad. It might not be particularly experienced, but it is an exciting squad. We've only taken a squad of 14, so obviously with domestic cricket going on over here, it's um, you know we're not taking anyone who we're not expecting to um, play a role if required. Um, you know, if we get an injury, we've you know we're only three hours across the ditch to be able to bring in someone if required. So Lockie's certainly a point of difference for us. Um, once again, we'll have to look at the surface and, and see where we might best utilise him, but um, he's certainly very much an option. Oh look, I think some players that play in both will gain some confidence from this. Um, but I mean, I mean as a one-day unit, we've been pretty strong for a while, um, and I think we're, you know, we're top three in the world. And we have been for the last, you know, couple of years. So, um, you know, we're a, a reliable um, white-ball uh, side. As I said, quite an exciting group. Um, but not as experienced as perhaps we have been, um, you know, since the World Cup. So that provides opportunity, and it's, um, you know, a lot of these guys have never played in Australia. Um, you know, there'll be some good crowds, I'm sure, over there. Plenty of hostility, and um, you know, for any New Zealand team going over there, it's an exciting time. So we're looking forward to it.
1: The Black Caps coach Mike Hesson, and you're listening to Extra Time. The New Zealand Rugby Sevens veteran DJ Forbes says there's a real buzz in the team as they prepare to open their World Series season in Dubai this weekend. New Zealand have headed to the UAE with two new coaches and Scott Waldrum and Tomasi Thama and plenty of young players in the squad. Forbes will break the record for the most tournament appearances any player on the World Series when he takes the field at the season-opening Dubai League this weekend. Forbes will play his 80th World Series event in New Zealand's opening pool match against Russia, and he says he's excited about the milestone and the upcoming season.
5: Pretty cliche, but obviously a you know special moment. Uh, it's quite funny because it's probably been a few tourneys where I've been uh, trying to cross that chalk to, to actually officially notch it up. People have been waiting for it. You know, obviously last last season, and you know hopefully this weekend uh, I get that chance. But you know, I think a, a real real proud moment, especially for uh, I guess uh, my family and friends that have been supporting me along the way. Um, it's been a huge sacrifice to, I guess, be here this long. So um, you know, hopefully, you can really get a, I guess, a good appreciation uh, this weekend.
2: Uh, is it something you ever imagined when you ran out to make your debut that you could match up a record?
5: Yeah, I think um, you know, it's obviously a, you know a proud moment. But uh, I think growing up, you know, playing footy, you just want to get out there and play as hard as you can, as good as you can, um, and, and treat that game as your last. So I think for me to be here. You know, 11 years on, 80, 80 tournaments down the track, um, it's pretty special and I'm just really grateful that my body has served me this long and all the people that have supported me to, to be here today. So there is a new season upon us, what excites you the most about it? Oh, I think, um, you know, new ideas, you know, new coaches, new faces um, and obviously their new generation coming through. I'm just really, um, really grateful that I got the opportunity to be a part of that transition and, you know, hopefully... Uh, You know, some of the legacy that me and the old boys created, you know, maybe 10 years ago we can kind of instill a little bit of that and then these new boys can get on and and create their own legacy as well.
1: The New Zealand Sevens veteran DJ Forbes. This is extra time. The former US Open champion and Rio Olympic silver medalist Juan Martin Del Potro will headline the men's draw for Auckland's ASB Tennis Classic in January. Del Potro was out of the game for nearly two years due to three wrist surgeries but a return to the game the season climbed from world number 1145 to his current ranking of 38. Defending champion the Spaniard Robert Bautista Agu and American John Isner are the top seeds for the tournament, but as tournament director Carl Budge told Matt Chatterton, it's Del Potro who will turn heads. It's one that came out of the blue to be honest, we were working on it since about April, he was our
2: number one priority this year, he was the guy we wanted to get back. Um, it looked like it was gone about six weeks ago yeah. um, we moved on we, we started looking at trying to secure other players and um, and then sort of this time last week we we picked up a conversation with his dad and uh, got the deal done on Saturday and, and he won fed uh, so Davis Cup on uh, on Sunday so it was a, a pretty dream week yeah. Bit of a whirlwind week in fact yeah so
4: um given that uh, he's you know obviously the form he's been in this year you almost call him your top ten in the world player when you because there isn't one technically in the field, but he, on form, is one of the best at the moment.
2: Yeah, look, I think that's what's most encouraging. I I think on form, he's probably the best player that's come to the ASB Classic men's field. Uh, While we've had players ranked higher, I'm not sure we would have had anyone... at his level, you know, if you think of who's going to be the favourites to win the Australian Open, I, I dare suggest Juan Martin will be in the top two or three favourites for that tournament. Um, and So to have him in that sort of form coming here, yeah, he, he's, our top, he's our top ten player, and um, look, I think along with Andy Murray, he's probably been the form player of, uh, of this year.
4: And taking a look at the rest of the field, on paper... Um, it would almost appear that it's stronger than the women's where you're cut off for, for your set of players, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is, and,
2: and it's the contrast, I think, so exciting. You know, you've got massive servers in the likes of Visner and Vesely. You've you've got the two biggest forehands in tennis, in Del Potra and Jack Sock, and then the real crafty, you know, the, the, the great defensive and, and returning players are the likes of Ferrer and Bautista. So, look, I think when you put all of that together, plus the two young guys we've got coming through that are the stars of tomorrow... Um, Know, all of our defending champions since 2009 It starts to become a pretty compelling field
4: And um, yeah, you mentioned there That you've got all the champions back since 2009 Was that
2: something in your head you wanted to do Or was it just it did just fall into place? Yeah look it, it, To be honest it started falling into place And then we had to just go away and secure the last couple mm-hmm. Um when we didn't look like we were going to get Del Potro, um, we were looking at what other angles can we start putting together and, and having the last four years worth of defending champions was where we sort of rest going right, if we can get a battle of champions going, it'll be great. Yeah. And you know, with, uh, with the confirmation of, uh, of Del Potro, it means that we've got everyone since 2009 and a dream year just keeps getting better. And I know uh, last year uh, a couple of the New Zealand tennis players on, the, on court were
4: favourites amongst the uh, fans here in par now, uh, are we likely to see
2: New Zealanders again uh, playing this year? Yeah we'll definitely see one um, so this weekend West End Championships um, starts, the first of our, our domestic tennis uh, season um, and I'll monitor form over West End Champs and, and the New Zealand Championships the following week um, and you know, we, we always want to see Kiwi going well. We, we've seen Mike Venus win a match in the last couple of years. He was very close to beating world number 19 Benoit Payer um, here last year. So, look, they're, they're there or thereabouts. And, um, Mike won the doubles tournament last year. The, Marcus and Artem uh, were in the semi finals mm. of, of the doubles tournament. So, look, Kiwi tennis is in a good place at the moment. And um, yeah, we want to give them every opportunity to shine on,
1: on their home court. ASB Classic Tournament Director Carl Budge talking to RNZ Sports reporter Matt Chatterton. Former Olympic triathlon champion Hamish Carter has become the sport's temporary high-performance director. Graham Moore resigned in October after four years in the role and after a disappointing performance for New Zealand athletes at the Rio Olympics. Andrea Hewitt finished seventh in the women's event while Ryan Sissons was the best-performed of the men, finishing 17th. The President of Triathlon New Zealand, Arthur Clapp, spoke to Stephen Houston about the sport's future direction in the country.
0: We've been working really closely with High Performance Sport New Zealand to take us through the, you know, the current phase of our high performance programme and we were very fortunate that High Performance Sport New Zealand has allowed us to second Hamish half-time through till the end of March or whenever a, a High Performance Director is, a, is appointed if it's earlier than that. So. You know, it's a it's a great move from our side of it. We're just grateful to High Performance Sport New Zealand for allowing it to, to be done.
6: Do you feel that there was a need for something to happen? Because, I mean, obviously the results haven't been going terribly well uh, on the international stage in recent years.
0: Well, I think there are um, a couple of things. First of all, with Graham Moore moving on, it was really important that we gave some stability and and an understanding of things moving along normally for our coaches and and high-performance athletes and our development teams, etc. So it's partly a business as usual to to keep that rolling, otherwise we really fall in a big hole. But the second part is then also to refine our strategy through to 2020, and then as soon as we know the funding from High Performance Sport New Zealand in mid-December, we can then adapt that strategy to the... Um, funding that we will get and Hamish is just perfectly placed to be able to do that
6: Has he brought or instituted or looking to make any changes because I mean there was obviously criticism of Graham Moore with, with his departure through the likes of Andrea Hewitt so has Hamish Carter brought about or looking to bring about any any change?
0: Well it's important to, you know Hamish has to be very careful that he's not um, an positions of conflict of interest with his role at HSPNZ. So it's, he's working on the directive of the board and, and reporting straight to me. And a key part of what the board wants to see is that we have a close engagement with our coaches and athletes at all levels so that we are consulting with the community-level coaches, with the regional coaches, with the high-performance coaches and the athletes in those programs to collectively refine the program through to 2020. So it's not so much a case of, you know, top-down, this is our strategy and, and now fit into it. It's everyone contributing to it. And we've had one meeting already with a with a, about 20 coaches, and we'll repeat that again in, in December. And Hamish is the right person to pull that group together and have their respect.
6: So is that a change in approach?
0: It's a refinement. So um, th- there are, you know, a number of things that we can do to engage the the community. If the one of the, one of the difficulties before was that the total community wasn't engaged and and supportive of the program, and so if we open up that door and introduce some flexibility into the program, that uh, that meets better the needs but still sticks to this. You know, you have to have a high performance program that's that leading and uh, from from the you know the community level right through and providing as much support as we can. But if the community isn't engaged with it and doesn't have ownership of it, they will never become part of it.
6: So the comments from the likes of Andrea Hewitt, what have they prompted from Triathlon New Zealand?
0: Well, I think that any any changes or adaptions that might happen are the results of a, an analysis of all the different feedback that we've got and, and also analysis of the results, but in particular looking at who will be our potential stars of 20 and 2024. Where are they at now and what can we do with those athletes to bring them up to the level that we want them to be and they want to be in 2020 and 2024
6: so to... I
0: think any any social media comments are unfortunate and usually um, are a result of frustration in some aspect of the programme. So the comments themselves are not what we look at so much, but we do look at levels of frustration or where we haven't achieved and then say, well, why haven't we achieved and what do we need to do to change that?
6: So that regeneration, I suppose, What what's... Are going to be the major facets? Do you think that the board or that Triathlon New Zealand needs to to look at as you try to obviously improve the the standing of our international ranked triathletes? Where where, the where line... does the program have to? I suppose yeah, bore in on or target.
0: I, I I firmly believe it's around the engagement of the coaches and also the opportunity for the the coaches to grow and learn and and for you know they have. Each coach, they're no different to the athletes, they wish to improve, they wish to become high performance coaches, some of them, um, we need to give them the opportunity to learn and grow and to be engaged with the program. If if the coaches support the program and understand it, then the benefits will flow through to the athletes. And the coaches need to have clear direction, they need to understand um, what are the high performance measures, Um, what what do the athletes have to do to get the support whether that's cash or whether it is, you know, the support services that are provided. And if they're clear on that, then they know what they have to try and get.
1: Triathlon New Zealand President Arthur Clapp speaking to Stephen Houston. That's extra time for this week. Follow us on Twitter at RNZ Sport. I'm Barry Guy. Bye for now.
2: Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long